0: Uh, We're gonna be looking at Genesis chapter 11. Uh, Before we get started, uh, ushers are coming around. If anybody needs a bulletin uh, or notes or a pen, they're coming out around with those. Just shoot your hand up and they'll come over to you. While they pass those out, pastor said this was gonna be a barn burner. I had to look that up. I didn't know what that was. Um, But I promise you this will not be that. Hopefully it's an encouragement. Uh, Levi said I got my hanky ready to kinda get going. So hopefully this won't be that kind of sermon, but hopefully this is an encouragement and a challenge to all of us. I've been reading through uh, the book of Genesis. I've been going through my, uh, my Bible reading, and then this story really stood out. There's a lot of great preachers out there and a lot of teachers out there that have gone through uh, the Tower of Babel and what, what took place and the ramifications of that um, in a lot of detail. I won't be doing the historical side of that. Uh, we'll more so be looking at some application for ourselves and also what happened in the story. So with that being said, to kind of get us uh, a little bit of background of what's happening here, we're in chapter 11. We'll be looking specifically at the time when uh, basically everyone, more than the Bible says, everyone that was alive at the time came together in this one place and basically wanted to defile God. Um, But before that, this is right before the great flood, so not too far removed from that time frame. So the great flood happened, and obviously Noah got his family and his boys and their wives and his wife and all of these animals, and they get off the ark after a certain point in time. And in chapter 9, Noah and his sons receive uh, this blessing from God, basically saying he's going to sustain them. He's going to take care of them. He gives them specific instructions on how to take care of, of the land that he's given them as well, too. And then he gives them a very important instruction, which we'll see that um, they go contrary to a little bit later in chapter 11. But basically, said God says, go replenish the earth. He blesses them and that he tells them how to do it. He tells them how the animals will be uh, subjective to, him, to them and they'll be able to do all these great things. Now, with that covenant, it's interesting that the Bible says that Noah was there along with his seed and his sons were right there with him. So we have Ham, Shem, um, and then also, uh, sorry, oh goodness, uh, Japheth, Japh- no, Japheth, yeah, there it is. <laughs> sorry about that. Um, but then we look later in that chapter, uh, it's kind of like a mirror of the beginning of Genesis. So we see that Adam was supposed to name the animals, a bit of an agriculture type of guy. And, and once the new, new world came and after the flood came, uh, Noah kind of took on that role too. He became a farmer and the Bible talks about how uh, he, he was, had a vineyard and Noah got drunk. And at a certain time uh, during his drunkenness, at some point, Uh, one of his sons, Ham in particular, saw his father's nakedness. Um, And the ramifications of that are we'll talk about a little bit later. But basically, there was a curse that was laid upon uh, his son Ham, but through Ham onto his son Canaan. And Canaan, basically, the Bible says that he would be a slave to his brothers Ham and Japheth. So with that, um, there's a lot of things that have happened and boiled down to this moment. The story that we see in chapter 11 actually we see a precursor of kind of what really took place in chapter 10. So chapter 10 is kind of laying out uh, the, the genealogies and what's taking place well before the actual Tower of Babel. So with that, that's why we find ourselves in our text. We're in uh, Genesis chapter 11. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 9, along with several other verses. But to get us started, ch- verse 1, chapter 11 of Genesis. And the whole earth was as one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they, as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there, and they said one to another, come or go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly, that they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, come or go to, let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven, remember that, and let us go make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded, and the Lord said, "Behold, the people is one, and they have one language, and this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech." So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the earth, upon the face of all the earth. They left. Off to build the city. Therefore, it is the name. Therefore, is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Uh, let's go ahead and pray real quick. Father, we thank you so much for your word and just the opportunity to worship uh, amongst family and believers. Lord God, I thank you so much for uh, the chance to stand on this pulpit, Lord, and on the shoulders of a, a great man of faith and several other people who have, who've walked in your, uh, in your ways, Lord God. I pray as your word is brought forth tonight, Lord, amongst uh, our, our family, Lord, I pray that you would bless it. I pray, Lord, you would empty me, allow you to be magnified, Lord, regardless of what's in my heart and how much of a vessel that I try to be empty, Lord. I pray that you would be the one that will point us to truth and lead us to truth. Uh, we know there's nothing greater than to know that what your word says so it can help us uh, the Bible talks about how all scripture is given to us for inspiration and is profitable to us, Lord. So I pray that that profitability that we would see tonight in your word would uh, truly speak to each and every heart here tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Amen. Okay. So when I was round about 15, 16 years old, I had just gotten my license. Um, I hung around with uh, three other guys. A couple of them were a little bit older than me. One of them was about the same age as me. And at this time, uh, one of them had a, a girlfriend. I don't, I don't believe in teenage girlfriend, boyfriends, but it happened, right? <laughs> I believe that now because my son's born, but before, you couldn't tell me that. But uh, at the time, we had gone to this specific neighborhood, and this neighborhood was a neighborhood that I was not familiar with. Uh, when I was a teenager, I was a bit of a follower. I didn't know what a leader looked like, but I know people that made decisions, and I was just like, oh, that sounds good. And I would pretty much just go along with it because I was comfortable with it. And most of the time, I was probably comfortable with it. So I got in the car with my friends. They went to go visit his girlfriend in this neighborhood I'd never been to. It was pretty late. Uh, There's a good rule of thumb that I learned later in life that nothing good happens after midnight. Uh, But I think for someone underage, nothing good happens after 10 o'clock, or even better, nothing good happens after the street lights come on. How about that? So we were out after the streetlights were on, and at that time, we had pulled up. This young lady came outside, I think with a couple of our friends too, and my friend begins to talk to her, and we were standing there because we were nervous teenage boys, so we didn't talk to her friends. We were just staring, waiting for them to finish talking about whatever they were going to do. And all of a sudden, a couple minutes later, we see from a distance, uh, at the time it felt like 15 people, but it was only maybe about seven or eight guys walking towards us on this dark street. So we're uh, leaning on my friend's car, and one of my friends taps on my shoulder, and he kind of motions towards me, doesn't say anything. And we look, and we see this guy's kind of walking towards us in this group. My first thought is just like, okay, this probably isn't good. And at that point in time, I realized, I'm like, I don't think I'm in the right place. Um, So they they get a little bit closer, and we're on this side of the street, and uh, in in my neighborhood, not like uh, Hawaii, the streets are a lot bigger, so a little more distance, but they're on the other side of the street. And they just stood there, staring at us, facing our direction. And my friends are just sitting there by my friend's trunk, and we're just standing there, kind of just staring at them, waiting for my friend to talk. Eventually, we get his attention because he's just googly-eyed right now and he can't focus. But he suddenly realizes something's not right. And so at that point in time, he comes closer to us, this young lady. We're notioning to her. We're like, hey, do you know them? She's just like, I've never seen them before. And so again, my heart sinks again. I'm just like, I am definitely not in the right place. So, we stand there, not thinking, as I look back, why didn't we just get in the car? Um, but we stood there. And I think my follower instinct set in is because no one else got in the car. I was frozen. And so, at that point in time, one of my friends, he's a bit of a hothead, or like my friend at the time, he's a bit of a hothead, and he says, man, it's, it's pretty cold outside. Out loud, kind of in general to kind of see if he get any response. A couple of seconds pass, and One guy in the group says, yeah, and it's about to heat up. And my heart sucked again. I was like, Lord, I am not in the right place. So we stood there even longer and even longer. It felt like an eternity. It was probably 10 minutes. And all of a sudden, those guys, they walk toward the middle of the street, and they just keep walking past us. Um, We immediately jump in the car. We drive off. Um, I was frantic, but I remained calm until I got home and I cried in the bathroom. (laughs) So, in that situation, I knew for a fact I was spending time with people that weren't, I didn't consider them bad people, they weren't terrible influences. But in that particular moment in time, I questioned every decision I had ever made with those groups of people. How did I end up in this place, in this situation that I knew I shouldn't have been in? And I was definitely in the wrong place at the wrong time. But that wrong place was definitely, I I had to put the blame on myself. I had to put the blame on myself. So in a similar way, we see somewhat of what's happening here in Genesis chapter 11. The children of Israel, or this isn't them yet, but these groups of people that eventually be the children of Israel find themselves in a place contrary to where God told them to be. Uh, if you look first and foremost in verse 2, um, or actually, if we kind of venture back to what we discussed in chapter 9 and chapter 10, God told them a specific commandment and instruction. He gave them a blessing, but he also gave them a commandment. He said, go replenish the earth. Um, and, but we find them in verse 2, he says, and it came to pass as they journeyed, so they were on their way, they go east. And it says, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. So they stopped. They no longer decided to go and replenish the earth. They decided to stop in one specific place. Um, and basically, as we'll see later in this story, go in opposition to what God, God told them to do. So first and foremost, the first thing that we have here, they decided that they had a better plan than God. Who's been there before? Sometimes we might not say it out loud, but my situation or the, the idea that I have about this specific type of way I'm going to do things, whether it was a plan that was about to take place or I was making the decision in the moment um, I didn't console God, so in, in essence, I was saying, I have a decent enough plan. I think, God, I'm good on this one. Um, I would never say that verbatim, but sometimes my actions or our actions might relay that to our true and living God. So because they felt like they had a better plan with that, in that company, or this idea is now that in the company of people who, we sh- who might share the same values, uh, the character of that group will be found out in their collective decisions, So going back to my story, with that group of friends, we didn't anticipate being around what it looked like 15 people but wasn't that many people. But we did anticipate being out at night trying to talk to some young ladies and not realizing nothing good happens around this time, especially in a place that I am not familiar with. So with that point in time, you would kind of estimate based on that story, Brian said these guys aren't good, but you know what, they sound like they don't make good decisions. Or better yet, they don't sound very wise. And some could even argue, I, I grew up in a, in a Christian home, first-generation Christian home, and I knew better. So if anything, you could probably say, maybe those guys didn't know better, but Brian, that was a foolish decision. So even if I disagreed, even though I thought I wasn't in the right place, and I, because I didn't stand up and say, hey, let's go, we shouldn't be here, why are we going out here this late in this neighborhood we'd never gone to before? Because I didn't say anything, I submitted myself to a different authority. Instead of me listening to the unctions of my father or people who are great people that have told me, like, hey, don't do this, don't do that. I promise you, you don't want to go down that path. I still decided to do so, willingly. I didn't grow up in a hard background. Both of my parents are still happily married. They were just here, if you got a chance to meet them, uh, about a week and a half ago. Uh, Great godly people. Uh, We were the people that didn't celebrate Halloween. When people knocked on our door, we shut off the lights. Mom said it was witchcraft. We couldn't do it. Um, We were the people that um, went to church maybe five times a week. That was on Sundays a couple times that day. We would go to church that Wednesday. We would go to church that Friday, that Saturday to clean and be back Sunday morning for Sunday school in church later that night as well, too. So I was definitely a kid that was born in church and grew up in it my whole life. But with that and all of the information that I gathered from the Bible, I was saved at a young age. I was baptized shortly after. I knew the distinctions between it, but unfortunately, I didn't understand what it meant to walk with Jesus. I didn't have that proper discipleship to understand and grasp what the Bible was truly telling me to apply to my life. So with that, a couple of verses I want to point out here Psalm 11, uh, it's a great verse. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. So if, if I'm reading the Bible correctly, uh, in that situation, I, I wasn't necessarily blessed because I was walking in the counsel of the ungodly, either unto myself or someone else. But I also did a, a, another oopsie as well, too. I walked in the way with sinners. Some of my friends uh, professed that they were saved or professed Christianity, uh, but I knew for a fact, looking back, um, there was no fruit that came from it, no fruit, primarily because they continually, and I let them, and I willingly followed them to destructive paths that were deliberately against God, deliberately. Go to church on Sunday and do what I wanted to do the rest of the week. I understood very well what duplicity was, and I was very good at it, very good at it. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with all things as ye have, for we have for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear that man shall do unto me. Uh, that's a great verse. If you have that in your Bible, I would start underlying that one. But understanding that, if I truly understand what it's saying here, if I don't desire things that I have no business desiring, if I understand God has given me everything that I've needed from the jump, that I don't, I can boldly say. God's my helper. I've been sustained. Everything that I've ever needed and wanted, I, I don't have to worry about it. Like when, the, when the psalm, David says in Psalm 23, I shall not want, he means that. Everything has been given unto me. Uh, the, the analogy of sheep and how they compare that to the children of Israel, even for us today, as Jesus being our good shepherd. Um, I don't know if you know, you probably do, but sheep are very stupid. Sorry, children, if you can't say that word, but they're not very smart Sheep are not smart at all, to the point where if you let them off a cliff, they would go. They would just blindly go and die, 100%. And so the Bible constantly uses that kind of, that wordplay with us. God sees us and where he's a good shepherd and we are just sheep that constantly go squirrel and just follow away for our own. The Bible says that we are, we're, t- we're drawn away by our own lusts and enticed. It's just like we see this shiny thing and we, can't, we get so fixated that we no longer remember the goodness or like this verse says in, he, in Hebrews, how the Lord, remember, he was my helper. He sustained me. He was the one that I, was not, I wasn't supposed to care what people did to me because he was the one that I followed. So continuing on in our, in our, uh, in our uh, study here, the second point we hear of the motive behind their rebellious heart. So we see very quickly So it would seem like them settling in this plane doesn't seem like such a bad idea. They're just just making a stop. They just want to dwell here for a little bit. The Children of Israel did this all the time. Um, uh, Recently, I've I've tried to kind of get into archaeology. And the more I understand it and look at it, the more I see, man, Lord, you've really left so much evidence for our faith. Now, the just shall live by faith, I think we said that in the uh, Bible study previously, but the evidence is overwhelming in regards to the true and living God. There's one specifically, if you're interested, I can talk to you after this. There's a channel on YouTube. It's called Expedition Bible. I believe if I wasn't in the field that I was in today, man, I would be this guy's assistant. I don't know what I'd do. I'd probably just get him water. But, man, just to hear him kind of just put things together and go to these uh, significant ancient places, and kind of put things together from the Bible. He'll have his Bible open. He'll have this literature from an archaeological dig that they've done either a couple hundred years ago or recently, the things that they found. And he'll just say, look, the Bible was correct to the point where there will be secular archaeologists that would bring up the same evidence, and they wouldn't say the Bible's correct, but their their terminology would basically say the Bible's correct. So one specifically was in ancient Egypt. Ancient Egypt... um, as you know, they had a lot of records. They kept track of so many different types of things. And so with that record, they kept track of people, excuse me, that came to their nation. If you look later in the in the chapters of Genesis, we see uh, the story, and it talks about a man named Joseph. Uh, Joseph is a great Bible story um, that I used to love when I was young, and I love even more, and I appreciate more today the way God used him to sustain the line for the, for the true Messiah. So, with that, they, they kept a record of everyone that came to their specific kingdom. And there's one specific tablet that had on there this uh, hieroglyphic that had this word that basically stood for nomad. And this nomad people, he called it this nomad people that would travel in tents. You know where I'm going with this. So this specific type, and it, and it, mentioned, um, uh, it mentioned the name Yahweh as well, too. So this tablet, thousands of years old. And here it is smack dab in this ancient, ancient world that you would never think to see evidence like this where God just places like, here, I was here too. These people that had no name, that were small, that weren't mighty at all. They were eventually slaves to this great, amazing nation. Yeah, my people were there. And I'm real, 100% real. So I love seeing stuff like that. So with that... Coming back to our text, the motive behind the rebellious hearts, if we look at verse four, it kind of lays out every single motive and every single idea that they had well before we actually continue on. So we'll read it real quick. And they said, come or let us build us, uh, let us build us a city and a tower. We can stop right there. Okay. They wanted to build something. So we could say that they wanted to do something by themselves. So, in essence, that doesn't sound so bad. Everybody wants to kind of stand on their uh, own two feet, pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. Okay. Let's continue on. And it continues to say, whose top may reach unto heaven. Okay. It's getting a little hazy here, but they wanted to do things for themselves. Okay. So, they wanted to get to this specific place. So, they wanted to build this tower. They wanted to do it under their own power. But now we... Where, really, where the rubber really meets the road in the final parts of this text. And let us make us a name. Let us make us a name. So before, it was kind of like a, um, a bad sermon with a maybe a, a false teaching idea, like God's here to give you blessing and happiness and everything you ever wanted in life. And it's just like, Okay, God definitely wants to bless me, but then you finally hear, "But there's more ways to heaven than Jesus." Like, all right, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, right? So, kind of like we see here in this text, all of a sudden we see these things that don't seem so bad, and all of a sudden we see the motive crystal clear. It's like you couldn't have gotten you couldn't have gotten away from it. Let us make us a name. Interestingly enough, uh, one of Noah's sons, the one where the line of Jesus would eventually come to, Shem, uh, his his. The name Sham actually means literally name, means name. We'll see later in the, uh, later, um, in the chapters, but Sham uh, gets the blessing from God, actually from Noah, and he says that I'm going to make your name great. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? It's kind of ironic that you have these people here that want to have their name bigger and better to where God is and meet him where he's at and basically be their own gods and run their own show. And God says, hmm, no, no, I'm going to use this guy. It's kind of like meeting somebody with the name Guy, but his name's Shem. Okay, no? All right, never mind. (laughs) So uh, I read something interesting in, uh, in a commentary, and I'll share it with you. So in Genesis, in the totality of Genesis, specifically during this time, it said that cities rise in the era of sinful mankind. When humans attempted to gain security and regain what was lost in Eden without looking to God. I thought that was compelling because here we have a people who understood at one point everyone knew who God was. And you could say or argue that these people, they knew who God was. Um, If we understand correctly, a couple hundred, hundred years later, the devastation of that flood, you could probably still see remnants of it nearby, 100%. So with the devastation of a flood still nearby, and they find this flat land where they can kind of build with technology that's not necessarily the most solid either, like it says earlier in, chapter, in verse 3. They decide to do something for themselves uh, with the motivation without God completely. So that rebellious heart, even though God kind of pressed the reset button, never went away. And, and God in all of his sovereignty, he knew that. He knew what would take place, but he still makes this promise to never destroy them. He still makes this promise to one day bring forth out of this line from Abraham a blessing. and All of his seed would be blessed, which we we know now to be salvation under Jesus Christ. So next up, we see sin gives us a a false sense of protection, a false sense of protection. Uh, If you think about the decisions that we make, so going back to our idea of a plan that I have to make. So say, for example, for myself, uh, me and Anya got married a couple years ago, and the idea, I was in the military, and at the time, I was supposed to either pick new orders to or go to a new place or get out and go wherever I wanted to. And then, let me tell you, that last one sounded juicy, right? I was like, I can go wherever I want. I can do whatever I want. I can make the decisions that I want to make. I looked at Anya. I was like, let's go. Let's go my eyes got so big to the point where they kind of blotted out my true nature or my true walk with God. So my heart wanted what it wanted, and that decision started to take ground, and it took up legs, and it almost was born up to this whole idea that could walk on its own. We were going to move to a specific place. Anya was going to be a a teacher or a principal at this school. I was going to go to school here. I was going to get this degree. And, man, we were just going to coast and enjoy life. It was going to be great all because I chose where we would go. And I, you know what I said? This is what I said. I said, man, if we could find a good church here, maybe we could find a good church anywhere. How many people know that is not the case? Not the case, right? So that false sense of protection, it really puts blinders on you. You kind of lose focus on values and principles that you really should be guided by. So somehow, like, the, or like we see here with this group of individuals, somehow their disobedient plan gave them a false sense of protection against God's judgment. That's interesting. Against God's judgment, this plan conceived that they thought was foolproof. Guys, hey, hey everybody come, come together. This is what we're going to do. We're going to build us a tower. All right, we're going bake to these, bake these bricks. We're going to put together some slime. It's, it's kind of going to be like uh, this, this tower that we're built. Uh, historians say it's similar to Babylon. They have this structure that kind of builds up, not like a pyramid, because it has steps where you can reach to the top. And the idea was that it would be so high that you could be like a god. Basically, you would govern yourselves and you would be a name that people would look to. So not we don't know whether or not that's what they were building, but that's the idea behind it. So... With that, uh, we're going to look real quick at Proverbs chapter 50, and if we can, I actually want to take a look at a bigger uh, section of that. So if you can turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 50, ver- oh, I'm sorry, Psalms chapter 50. Someone over there, like, Brian, Psalms, Psalms, thank you for that. <laughs> that's what I'm talking, that's what, these family, I'm not nervous at all, Everyone, everyone's got your back, No. Thank you. Do I sound bad? Yeah, I'm losing my voice. Thanks, guys. I am losing my voice, but don't mind me. Okay. We'll be in Psalm chapter 50. We're going to actually start in verse 16. And we're going to key in on one specific verse, and I'll tell you in a second. Psalm chapter 50. I want to tell you that Pastor reviewed my notes, so if your notes say uh, Proverbs 50, he's just as wrong as I am. Okay. <laughs> Psalm chapter 50. That's the last joke I say. He's not here, so I won't do him too bad. <laughs> But unto the wicked God saith, what hast thou to do to declare my statutes, or that thou shouldest take my covenant in thy mouth? Seeing that thou hatest instruction and casteth my words behind thee, when thou sawest a thief, then thou uh, consentest uh, with them, and hast thou partakers of adulterers. Thou givest thy mouth to evil, and thy tongue frameth deceit. Thou sittest and speakest against thy brother, thy slandereth thy own mother's son. Key in on this verse right here in the rest of the rest of the uh, chapter. These things hast thou done, and I kept silence. So God says, I've, I've watched you do them, but I didn't say anything. I didn't do anything. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such as one as thyself. You thought, because I didn't say anything like the people around you when you did the wrong things, that I was just like you. But here we find a, a stark realization. But God says, but I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. There is no sin that God cannot see. And it is no sin that God turns a blind eye to. Even though we're saved, we understand that that loving corrections in place. But understand that we still have to pay in some way, shape, or form. Now, that payment isn't necessarily through wrath. Now it's through a loving correction called chastisement. And sometimes that chastisement can have ramifications that hurt just as much as well, too. So the rest of that chapter says, now consider this. So he kind of flips the script, which God does amazingly, right? The balance of truth and grace that God gives us and always that way or that opportunity to make things right, God always does it. And he says it here in verse 22. Now consider this. Ye that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. So he's not finished, right? He, get, he cracks the whip one more time, but then he says this Whoso offereth praise uh, glorifieth me. And to him that ordereth his conversation aright will I show the salvation of God. Man, I don't know about you, but man, that makes me want to get my life together. That makes me want to uh, make the things that I know that aren't right in my heart, that makes me want to make those things right with God. We won't experience the, the, cha- the, the discipline the way God would with someone who isn't saved. But in the same token, if God's telling me if I make my conversation or if I make my actions right towards him, he'll show the salvation that he's deemed. He'll be a good and gracious God the way, he's called, the way he said he is and the way he wants to be to me. But I just got to get my act right. So with that, uh, I think we've already talked about that false sense of protection. So God's allowed us, so God allowed sin in this specific uh, story, going back to our story, God allowed sin to prosper for a period of time so that he may cast them down lower than where they began. I don't know about you, but that speaks volumes uh, to me, and that makes me look at my own testimony and say, man, Lord, you were constantly giving me grace, but there was some point in time you just looked at me, and you were just like, what are you doing? What, what are you thinking? Don't Don't you know how good I am? Haven't you seen my grace in your life enough? we got to make this right. I have to bring your heart back to me. I've been meeting with Tim Miller for a couple weeks now, uh, minus three weeks ago when our baby was born. Uh, But we've been trying to memorize verses, and one specific verse I love to recite is, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is his ear heavy uh, that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And it is your sin has caused your face to be hid from him. Our sin is the thing that separates us from God. Uh, We've probably seen that, um, that, that physical demonstration of a person standing in one place and then God on one side, and God never changing his position. But whenever we go toward God, we're putting our back to our sin, and whenever we turn to our sin, we're putting our back towards God. But the only thing that's been true and stood in a strong foundation, uh, the, the idea of being planted by the rivers of water, the, the water is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when I decide to go towards my sin, I'm turning my back on the only thing that stops me from going back to my sin like a dog does to their vomit, the Bible says. So with that, that fall, we see consistently Right? We see it with the children of Israel. We see them constantly going back and forth. And before, I used to think like, man, why don't they just get their act right? And I quickly look at my life and say, Brian, why don't you just get your act right? So in my own personal testimony, my, my walk varied away from God significantly. I could almost say that I had seared my conscience like Pastor earlier with a hot iron. I didn't just grieve the Holy Spirit. I, I was no longer getting the unctions that I was supposed to because I was so steeped in my own sin. And because of that, God says, like we've been looking at in Romans, have at it. You you know what true living water tastes like. When Jesus says, I am, when he says that I am the living water, uh, when when you drink me, you'll never thirst. He means that significantly. He means that when we think about, when we think about someone that hasn't had water for days on end, weeks on end, the only thing that that person can ever think about is satisfying that thirst, And he's saying at that point in time, when you drink me, you'll never have that sensation again. Every single thing you've ever desired out of life, I can give you abundantly, if you put your faith and trust in me. But somehow we decide to, you know, if you've ever been uh, dehydrated and you decide to drink something other than water, it hits the spot for a quick second, but then it, it quickly retracts and you're even thirstier than you were before. I'm from the Midwest, so we call pop pop, but you may call it soda. Um, but when you drink uh, a soda and you're really thirsty, it only lasts for a few seconds and you're just like, man, I know I need water. Or if you go through the, your day and you realize you've been so busy and you think a thought to yourself, you're just like, oh, man, I need some water. I haven't drunk water well today. That's one of the measurements that we kind of utilize. So with that, uh, Christ calls himself the living water that we will never thirst again if we decide to come back to him. So in my own testimony, I decided that that water wasn't good enough. And in the same way... <clears throat> We see here in our text that they decided that water was not good enough. They saw the destruction that God could do, and they said, hmm, "I think we got a better plan. I think what we got going on here, God, I know that you said you don't want us to, uh, you want us to go scatter, but we don't want to be scattered. We like being together. We want to go against your commandment." So we're going to talk. We're going to look quickly at Job 20 uh, and about how. <clears throat> the sweetness of sin can be for a season Job 20 we we'll look at verse 12 through 16 <clears throat> this is in a parable that Job shares uh briefly on looking at his own righteousness Job 20 chapter two, uh Job 20 verse six, verse 12 through 16 though wickedness be sweet in his mouth though he hide it under his tongue though he spare it and forsake it not but keep it still within his mouth Yet his meat in his bowels is turned, it is the gall of aspers, or this is basically poison from snakes uh, within him. He has swallowed down riches, and he shall vomit them up again. God has cast them out of his belly. He shall suck the poison of aspers. The viper's tongue shall slay him. So the Bible uses this idea that yeah, this sin that you think is sweetness, that it's good, and you don't want anything else, it's going to be something that's going to destroy you from the inside out. It's going to be the very thing that you thought that was good for you. Man, it's going to, it's going to explode, explode inside of you and expose you from the inside eventually when everyone realizes. If you've ever seen someone get bitten by a snake, in some instances, it's a slow burner. Sometimes not so slow, a couple minutes uh, in some instances, but in some cases it can be a couple, uh, maybe a few hours, and that person gets lethargic, and they're moving slowly. Their eyes be- begin to turn a different color. They begin to turn pale, and all of a sudden, that bite that they thought they could truck on with, that they've been hiding from everyone else, it eventually shows forth, and they just say, oh goodness, this does not look good. So in the same way, our sin, we can keep hidden for a long time, but the Bible says what? We know it. Be sure your sin will find you out. So in the same way we see here, they 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 basically were just they didn't care that their sin found them out. They were exposed and they were happy with it, and they did what they wanted to do. So, if we are calculating something upon our own strength, we claim the outcome for ourselves. Let us build us a tower. That's what it says. Let's go back to Genesis eleven. Let us build us a tower. Um, a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make a name for ourselves. They calculated the costs. They've got the building material. They figure out what, it they, what they needed. They even got other people together. Come, let's do this. Let's, I got the building plans. I got the permits. Let's, let's make this happen. They decided to do what they wanted to do so that they can say, hey, I'm going to be glorified. So God saw what they were going to do or what they were doing and uses it to get what he wanted them to do in the first place. Somehow, this instance where they decided to disobey God, God still got done what he wanted to do in the first place. Interesting how that happens, right? Especially in the grand scheme of things on how God wants his glory. Um, he will not give it to another. He will not give it to another. So that cliche thing when someone, when someone says, like, man, thank you for doing that. Oh, man, to God be the glory. Um, sometimes we'll say it frivolously and not really mean it, but we don't want to, uh, in my household, whenever Anya says something, oh, Brian, thank you for this. I say, no, God be glorified. I say, no, 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 thank God, thank God. Sometimes I do it too much, and she's like, hey, you really need to appreciate what I say to you. I'm just like, no, I'm trying. It doesn't work on me, babe. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's a small thing from my household. I'm working on it. But in a lot of ways, that should be our heart behind it. Like, no, 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 that's that's 100% God's working in my life. I'm just a vessel, an empty one at that. So with that, we see in our next point. God, God's punishment testifies of how highly God was displeased with, uh, with which these men had attempted. So what they attempted and what God did to them, and interesting what God did to them, God could have utterly destroyed them, right? We've seen it time and time again. They recently happened a few hundred years before this. God could have done a number of things to bring on them uh, that could have been very painful, very hurtful. But all he does is something so simple. He confounds them. He confuses them. And so he makes them, <clears throat> he makes them stop from the very plan that they had so that his name could continue to be glorified. But instead they said, Lord, we're going to do what we want to do. So uh, next point we see there, God, glory for themselves without God. They decided to do what they wanted to do, and they wanted the glory for themselves. A few small verses here in Isaiah, are significant when we think about the glory of God. Isaiah 48. Uh, 42, verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. and My glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. So let's split between there. My glory will I not give to another, nor will I give it to graven images. Those things are two completely separate. So my ego, my pride, the things that I desire to put forth for myself, we can maybe say those are graven, graven images. Or we could say to another, I'm that another and that name they wanted to give them themselves, that was the glory that they were giving to themselves instead of giving it to God. And then we see in Isaiah 48, verse 11, for mine own sake, even, mine, even for mine own sake, will I do it. For how should my name be polluted? And I will not give my glory unto another. So our rebellious hearts, uh, they constantly point and seek out comfort. They constantly seek out protection under our own power. And usually this is against the moral judgments and the commandments of God, usually, if I'm seeking out uh, a, a cush way to just kind of get ahead, and I don't want to stretch myself or see the goodness in the faith that God requires of me, then probably in some area or some faction of the way I've decided to disobey God, probably, right? So back to our example, when I got out the Navy, I didn't consult counsel, I didn't seek out men or strong men or strong women of God that would say like, Hey, what do you think about this plan? I made the plan, and I led my wife in that plan, and we just decided to go this specific way. <clears throat> and with that, I took away the glory from God that He couldn't have gotten, that He could have gotten in that situation. But thankfully, I had men uh, in our men in my life that spoke to me and they say, "Hey, let's slow down. Let's figure this out." And we'll get to that a little bit later. So, with all that, we'll find ourselves at uh, some application. So, a bit of an, uh, a kind of a bit of an assessment that we want to look at. Actually, hold on. I think I'm missing the page. That's okay. Am I? Sorry, guys. Yep, we find ourselves there. So with all that being said, we talked about the glory of God, this false sense of security uh, through this specific um, story Um, We know the ramifications of it on how we then find that our different nationalities and cultures are found from this specific instance. Uh, It's later compared to the supernatural event that takes place in the book of Acts on how now that these languages have been confounded and these peoples have have been spread. In Acts chapter 2, we see the people of many nations come together under different tongues and be used by God to speak many different languages. So um, it's interesting to kind of see that parallelism. But now we're going to do a small assessment for our own hearts within this story to kind of figure out, okay, Lord, what do you have for me here? I understand what's going on. I understand, and I see the error in their way. But now let's take a look at how does this apply to me? So a question for you. Um, If you're a writer, that's fine. You can write it down, answer for yourself. If you're not, take mental notes. But the first thing I have for you here is what is happening or about to happen in your life that you've created a plan for? What's happening or about to happen in your life that you've created a plan for? plans are not wrong. Uh, The Bible says without vision, the people perish. It's not a a bad thing to have a plan, but we're just kind of doing an assessment, right? So think about those two instances, something that's actually taking place or about to happen. Now with that, have you sought the counsel first of your pastor? Have you sought the counsel of your pastor? Have you sought the counsel from spiritual men or women who will tell you the truth from God's word, not what you want to hear? So, no, so notice how I said from spiritually mature, not peers. There can be spiritually mature peers, but sometimes even peers will tell you what you want to hear because eventually they're going to want you to tell them what they want to hear, right? Unless you're around someone who's uh, spiritually mature. So have you sought out those things? Have you looked in through from the word of God? Have you combed through the word of God to find out, okay, this is my plan, but Lord, what does your word say? How should I truly go about this? Uh, what's the consensus of my council? What are they telling me? Is it what I want to hear? Is it opposite? Do I need to reevaluate this plan that I've made? Uh, do I really need to acquiesce to their, to their suggestions? Pasha uses a, a, a story when he first started Huikala. He sat down, I think, with about four or five people. And he says the four people said that, hey, you know, Honolulu has a great need. Go start that church there. God will bless it. God will bless your family. You got this. And he said, one individual said, don't do it. And he's just like, tell me, tell me more about that. And in pastor's way, he says that a lot. Tell me more about that. And so a guy says, hey, don't do that. There's been 20 or so uh, churches that have been started in the past 10 years, and they've all failed in three years. Don't do it. And he's just like, okay. All right, God, you know how pastor does, right? That's the one he does. That's pretty good, right? Um, So he's bummed out, but he talked to those other counselors, and they're just like, I don't know what he's thinking, but I think God's all over this. Do it. Step out by faith. And we see now um, how God truly blessed him and his family to get to this point where we are all encouraged and we get the benefits of a man that stepped out by by faith. So not all the time will all of our counsel be sound, but that's why we take out counsel for more than one person. And specifically one person that we know will be probably uh, unbiased to what we may think. Right? We need someone that will be clear-headed and strong enough in their walk that will say what we need to hear, not necessarily what we want to hear. So with that, uh, check every single motive and pray for God's guidance and protection instead of formulating your own, and your own being your own guidance and your own protection. Uh, the, the more I live on this planet, which haven't been too long, but the more I live on this planet, the, quicker, the more I realize that the grace of God is what sustains me, um, I don't know about you all or the people who uh, do have children, I didn't realize how much God's grace I needed because I I literally went through small panic attacks of not realizing, like, man, Lord, I'm sleepy, but he's laying there. I wake up, and I think I dropped him. And I'm just like, what am I doing? He's not even in my arms. But these small anxieties would happen. I'm just like, Lord, your grace is what keeps this kid alive. If the Bible says the children are the Lord's heritage, then you got it. I'm just going to keep doing my best in this regard. So in the same way, I cannot rely on my own plan and protections. I have to depend on God's grace and God's grace alone. That is the arbiter of what continues and sustains us. So lastly, decide before you move any further in your planning or decision making that God will be the only one glorified in that process. Not my name, not the people around me, for my military folk, not the command, not the the people that are sending me off that can help me get a better evaluation for my people that, stay, that are from the island, not, not the job that I have, not, the, not my friends or family that want to see me make this specific decision because they know it might benefit them as well too. But I want to make the decision that specifically and only glorifies God. Countless times we see stories of people, a nation of people so small, but God do these miraculous things as if there were hundreds and millions and thousands of them. God wants his glory, and God wants his glory for him and him alone. So with that being said, think about it for yourself. Do you have a false sense of security in a plan you've made? Is there a a false sense of, uh, man, I got this figured out. Everything is under control without the counsel of God, without the counsel of men or women in your life that will tell you what the Bible says. I challenge you to reevaluate those things. Uh, I challenge you to look at the word of God and talk to your pastor, talk to people who will truly edify you like our church has. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m.